0: Hey, friends, 2020 has been such a challenging year, and I got to tell you, I am exhausted. So I've decided to take the next few weeks off. Don't worry, we'll be back with new episodes in January. But until then, I hope you have a very happy and healthy holiday season. And as my gift to you, enjoy this extra long conversation with Lachlan. I'll talk to you soon. Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I'm sex educator and sexual communication coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends, you know, I love all of the interviews I do for this podcast. And then once in a while, a kind of kismet happens, an interview that feels like a special gift. There's a different kind of energy between me and the guest that feels electric. Today, this is one of those. In fact, it's so good that you may have noticed it's twice as long as a regular episode. That's because there is absolutely no piece of this interview that I wanted to cut or even split out for Patreon. It's just that good. So pro tip, if you need to split your listening up over several sessions to digest it all, do it. Okay, let's dive in. Lachlan is a listener to the show, and let me know that he would be interested in doing an interview. Lachlan was born with a vagina, was socialized as a little girl, and lived as a lesbian woman. He always felt like he was in the wrong body, but had little exposure to the idea that transgender was a thing or would be an option for him. At age 29, he began transitioning To become the transgender man he is today. He came out to his family, did the counseling required for gender transition, started testosterone, and had top surgery. Today, 12 years later, he presents fully male and said that he passes as a cisgender male 100% of the time. In this conversation, we cover everything the feelings he had as a child about being a little girl, his first sexual experiences in college and how they felt to him, identifying as a butch lesbian in his twenties and everything that has happened since transitioning, including having to rediscover how to have sex. We also talk about what it's like to go into a men's public bathroom how he thinks his life would have been different if he'd been able to go on to hormone blockers before hitting puberty, and so much more. Lachlan is a 41-year-old transgender man. He describes himself as white, straight-ish, monogamish, and single. He describes his body as a round, cuddly bear. I am so pleased to introduce Lachlan. Thank you so much for being with me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Thanks for having
1: me. I'm excited, but also nervous. That is entirely appropriate.
0: <laughs> so, um, just to sort of give people a little background, you are a listener to the show, and I always love it when uh, listeners come forward to be interviewed. Um, you are also a transgender man, um and so I want to just let people know before we even get into this conversation that you have given me permission to ask you some really personal questions that in general are not appropriate to ask of our trans friends without their um without their consent and explicit permission.
1: Yes, for sure. Okay. I I'm right. I'm more on the line that I actually want This is my personal opinion, but I want people Mm -hmm. to ask me questions because I would rather have the information come from me than have somebody go to Google and Google transgender and get some (laughs) possibly false or damaging information. Sure.
0: Yeah. I think that's really generous and kind of you. And I also want to be really clear with with listeners who don't necessarily have the same exposure to a community of transgender people that um, that not everyone feels the way that you do. So it's important to know before you ask questions, whether those questions are welcome or not.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. That is yeah. very true. Okay.
0: All right. Well, let's dive in. So the first question I ask everyone is what is your first memory of sexual desire?
1: Uh, This is a hard question for me to answer. For me, sexual desire has always been wrapped up in gender. Mm. And I knew from a very young age that the gender that I was born with, female, is just not something that I felt that that was appropriate or that was accurate for what I felt inside. And I knew from a very young age that I was attracted to other little girls.
0: Mm. When you say very young age, how, how young are we talking?
1: I mean, I remember the first sort of crush I had on a girl was elementary school. So... 789 mm. okay somewhere in there a feeling that oh i i really like this her name was faith <laughs> 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 you got to have some faith <laughs> and i just remember like you know wanting to always stand near her and like you know in elementary school you have to line up and i just remember oh i want to stand like right behind her and be close to her and um just Feeling what I guess now you would label sort of attraction. Of course, at that young, you don't really understand what that means. And I also understood that that was probably not normal. That was not Mm. appropriate. I'm growing up in that age, there was no term for those kind of feelings. Like gay was not even a term, lesbian was not even a term, let alone transgender. I mean, that was like not even anywhere in my sphere of that even being something that was a term. Sure.
0: I think the term that we had uh, where, where I grew up in uh, new England was fag. Like that was the only thing. And I don't even think that the kids really understood what the word fag meant. They just knew it was an insult.
1: Yeah. I would agree with that. It, mm. I I almost think sissy is probably um, was mm. another term that got kind of bandied around. Mm-hmm. Um but I didn't really understand that that is sort of what the feelings I had were associated with that, but just knowing that the feelings I had were not appropriate.
0: Mm -hmm. How was your gender expressed as a small child? Were you dressing yourself up or being dressed up in really girly clothes or in more, quote unquote, tomboyish clothes? Like, and your activities and all of that.
1: Yeah, I was very much a tomboy. Um, mm-hmm. Most of my, when I was that young in elementary school and younger, I hung out with a lot of guys. You know, I would, I honestly thought I was one of the guys. I I went through a phase of where I tried to pee standing up. So every time I went oh. to the bathroom at our house, I tried to stand over it and couldn't understand Why I couldn't do it. Like, I didn't Mm -hmm. understand that I didn't have a penis. Like, that was something I didn't have. I sort of thought, oh, I'll grow into it.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. And where did you even know? Like, did you have male siblings who you learned what penis was from them?
1: No. So, I have an older sister, and I feel like I learned it from uh, those kind of male friends that i hung out you know little boys that i hung out with and i just remember them i I very distinctly remember going to a birthday party and it was all these other um it was all little boys and me and we were like climbing trees and out in the woods and doing all these i guess now very masculine things but not understanding at the time that i was like the only girl there and at one point they all went to the edge of the woods to pee so they all stood at the edge you know opened their flies took out their penises and peed and i was like that's weird. <laughs> I wow. I don't do that. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: And not understanding that I didn't have the same parts that they had. Mhm.
0: It's so interesting what you just said caught me a little bit of like I now understand those are boy activities, but they're only boy activities because we gender our children so hard mm-hmm. on such a binary. Why are why is climbing trees not a cool girly girl activity? Yeah. And it's because we expect different things from our little girls.
1: Absolutely. I'd have to say my parents, though, I never felt a lot of pressure for them at that age that I needed to conform. Like they never tried to put me in dresses if I didn't want to. They allowed me to sort of explore that tomboy phase. But I I always think, again, from where we grew up, being trans was never even a thought in anybody's mind that that's mm-hmm. what it was. You were just a tomboy. Like that's just, that was the acceptable line of where you could go for gender and still be a little girl.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I will say that changed for me at one particular birthday party. This was my maybe eighth, ninth birthday. And we had a big party at my house. My, my birthday is in June. It's a summer party, you know? So it's like in the summer, all your relatives come to your house and I remember dressing up in this white button up shirt and um, I had a very short haircut and I put a little bow tie on and I felt so handsome. Like I just felt like, you know, great. It's my birthday and dressed exactly how I want. And I'm so handsome. And yeah. people showed up and one of my aunts showed up and she said hi to me and she did not recognize me at all. So she didn't say happy birthday to me. Oh. She just had no recognition except when my mom was like, oh, this is, you know, me. And she was like, oh. And the look on her face was devastating. Mm. And she said, why are you dressed like that? That is not how little girls dress. Oh. And then she turned to my mom and like, why are you letting her dress like this? And that was devastating.
0: Yeah. Did you stay dressed like that or did you go up and change?
1: I remember I left I went to my room and I just remember crying about it and not really understanding why I was so devastated. And I honestly don't have any memory about if I changed after that Mm. um, or what happened, but I just remember feeling a lot of shame. Yeah. And that really affected how I interacted after that. Like I really understood. That there is a very clear line with gender that if I am going to be a girl and if I'm going to present as a girl, I now have to figure out what that means to, to pass in society as a girl.
0: And so what did you figure out? How, what did you do in order to quote unquote pass as a little girl?
1: So that's where I grew my hair out long, even though I did not want long hair. I was never a dress wearer. So it's not like I ever, I never went really feminine, mm-hmm. but I certainly went to, you know, I stopped wearing more boyish clothes. So I stopped um, shopping in the boys sections and stores and started shopping in the girl section. I had, I remember, you know, going from wearing t-shirts to like in high school, like I bought some blouses. Yeah, I have to say blouses is not even a thing anymore. But like, back in the day, that's what that's what girls wear. You were like, oh, blouses." What yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm already dating myself just by saying blouse, but I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was sort of the and, you know, just suppressing any feelings I had towards other to towards other women
0: hmm. So, I want to go back and pick up one thing. And this is not exactly a question for you. It's something that I want to explain for people who may not be familiar with this kind of conversation, that a moment ago, you said, uh, your mother came in the room and said, this is and then I saw you pause for a second and you said, me. And it's because at that point in your life, I assume you had a female gendered name that you no longer use. And um, I guess the question is, uh, do you even like relate to that person anymore? Like, is that, I imagine that that name might come with some pain for you does that feel like a completely different person or is it still really clearly you?
1: It still feels very clearly like it's me, but not that name anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's a time when you start to transition and you change your name that hearing that name in public, even if it's not directed towards me, just hearing that name out in public, you mm-hmm. you still have a reaction to it because it's the name you've been called for a very long time. Yeah. I transitioned when I was 29, 29, 30 is when I started. And we have our own conditioning <laughs> to do, even yeah. though I, I never felt necessarily like that name, which was feminine, was me. It still was the name that you're used to. So you, we mm-hmm. have some own conditioning to do to kind of get used to being called something else.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. So I just jumped us way ahead in the timeline. So let's, (laughs) let's back up. Um, so you're, sounds like maybe in your tween years, you're buying blouses. (laughs) And, um, at what point, uh, did you in here discover masturbation? Did you discover your own body? And what was that like for you?
1: So no, I did not. I, and Mm -hmm. I purposely made, I I feel like in that sort of high school, maybe middle school, high school age, when people are, their hormones are starting to kick up and they're sort of making choices to start pairing off, I was a little bit interested in that where I remember, you know, going to a dance with a boy, but never feeling like this is right. Like it never Mm. felt like this is what I really want to be doing. It's just what I'm doing because it's what it is expected of me. Mm Mm-hmm. And around that time, I I didn't understand the gender stuff, but I knew that, a I I really only wanted to date women, which wasn't, in my mind, allowed at that point. And I really wanted a penis, which I did not have. Hmm. So for me, sex was pretty much off the table at that point. I pretty much had decided that I would live the rest of my life never having sex. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the way I dealt with that is that I had a very active fantasy life, a very active inner mon- inner fantasy world that I had created around being somebody else.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was a male person who had a penis?
1: Yeah, very much. So I had mm-hmm. created this whole... I, I would term it now an avatar. That's not what I... Mm -hmm. even thought of it as but that's basically what it is I created a whole avatar for myself in this fantasy world that was completely my inner world so I was male I was handsome I was tall I had a penis like I was outgoing I played football like I had all of these ideal things that I wanted that I put on this avatar and I lived in that fantasy world
0: so, okay, so you just talked about sort of the physical characteristics that this avatar had. What were his personality characteristics? Was he aggressive? Was he sweet? Was he. Where did he fall in that
1: spectrum? So, I would say that. Do you know? I'm going to give you an example of kind of who I would model him after. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, he was please. sort of modeled back. And again, this is going to be like a 80s, 90s reference for okay. people. Um, do you know MacGyver? Did you ever watch oh, that show yeah. MacGyver? Yeah, yeah. So that is sort of the model I feel like I would have. So somebody mm-hmm. that was resourceful and knowledgeable and took charge, but also was not only confident, but um Empathetic is not quite the word, but like, you know, sweet, nice, helpful. Yeah. Those things as well, where people really looked up to him. And, you know, he was the person like getting shit done.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that.
1: So that was sort of the model that I would have.
0: So in your fantasy life, you're living, presenting as a, a masculine, take charge kind of guy. In your quote-unquote real life, how were you presenting? Um, What was the personality that you were showing to the world? What was the gendered expression that you were showing to the
1: world? I was basically trying to be as invisible as possible Mm. in the real world. And so I never – I was trying to be as neutral as possible, but more – on the feminine side of neutral than anything. So I was Mm -hmm. never really feminine. I also tried not to do anything that was really masculine. So I was very much a people pleaser. I very much would walk into any room and really read the room about how I needed to act so that nobody would question anything. Mm -hmm. I just remember always being very much on guard. It's also why I never drank or did any drugs in Mm when i was younger i mean i didn't even have a sip of alcohol until i was in college and that was because i knew deep down that i had a i had a very large secret that i did not want anybody to know
0: had you put a term on it yet or did you just think i'm weird and crazy and not normal
1: I didn't have a term for it. I mean, trans, Mm -hmm. transgender was not even a term that came into my life until very, very late.
0: Yeah.
1: What I knew is that in my fantasies when I was male, that's what I really wanted. But I also knew that I could never be that. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I, that I could never tell anybody because I knew, I just knew deep down that that was not right because there was nobody in my life that I didn't have any examples. Whether it's media, real life, like any sort of you know i any sort of example of what this could be
0: mm-hmm. it sounds like an incredibly painful way to live.
1: it was really lonely, yeah, and I struggle with that still now. I mean, having to live most of my childhood and most of my you know kind of formative years just being alone Mm -hmm.
0: that has long-term effects yeah yeah i'm sorry so it sounds like you did not interact with your genitals at all is that correct
1: that is yeah correct like i had no interest
0: at what point did you did it not happen until after transition?
1: No. So it happened when I um, got with, I got together with my first girlfriend. So that was oh. the first time that I started exploring those things. She and actually was, was the person. So I was, oh, it's twenty-one, uh-huh. and she was the person who actually introduced me to like masturbation. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh
0: huh.
1: <laughs> like, it just didn't even occur to me that the genitals that I had could give me any pleasure. Wow. Yeah.
0: And so when you discovered masturbation, what was that for you? Were you like, Oh, I have a new toy and (laughs) I want to play with it all the time. Or was it like, yeah, okay. It's a thing.
1: (laughs) No, it definitely was. I have a new toy and I'm playing with it all the time. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like I had years to make up for at that point. Yeah. (laughs) 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 <laughs>
0: okay, so I'm going to ask you an explicit question, which you uh-huh. can choose to answer or not. Okay. Um, when you discovered masturbation, was it entirely an external thing or did you also enjoy internal um, sensations?
1: It was only external. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was sort of the way I think my mind could tolerate it. Yeah. It was sort of the way that I am stimulating the clit. I could, it could get a little bit bigger. So it felt like that sort of, you know, it could grow. I will also say something more explicit if you don't mind. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so this also with this girlfriend, the first I wouldn't say maybe the first time, once we started actually having sex and started that sort of realm, a couple of sessions into having sex kind of for the first time, I didn't actually know, because I'd never masturbated, what an orgasm would be. Mm. And this also, again, was the time before the internet where you could just (laughs) have easily access to porn and like what an orgasm for a female body would look like. Sure. The only thing I knew is male orgasms, where when you orgasm, something comes out. Like, you know, you sort of have that ejaculate that comes out. Mm -hmm. So maybe the second time that we had sex, I, in my mind was like, oh, to have an orgasm, you have to ejaculate. And so Mm -hmm. as I approached my orgasm, my mind was just like, okay, this is happening. And that sort of you build up of that orgasm. And what I know now is I squirted.
0: Huh. Wow.
1: And neither of us knew what it was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how did you respond to that? I mean, I'm imagining that for you, maybe it was like, yes, I can do the thing. But what was it like for her?
1: Yeah. So it really, for me, was like, yes, I did the (laughs) thing where like I ejaculated, (laughs) like the thing I wanted to really do, it happened. Yes. (laughs) But neither of us knew what, knew what had happened. Like we both thought that I, I had peed. We both thought it was urine, but it didn't smell like urine. And so then you have this moment of like, what, what, what's going on? And so she, and it happened again. So it happened maybe two or three times and she kept having a weird reaction to it. And so I realized again, Oh, that's not normal.
0: Yeah. Oh, God.
1: And so I, whatever reason my my mentally i stopped doing it and now i don't actually i don't actually do it anymore huh do
0: you miss it
1: i honestly have no idea i mean (laughs) 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 yeah i don't know
0: so um okay how the hell do i ask this question um So, it sounds like you didn't have a lot of exposure to what sex was or what it looked like in general. Then you put two female bodies together, and you wish you had a penis. What was sex between the two of you? Like, how did the two Mm. of you have sex?
1: Yeah, it was confusing for me at first. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I couldn't have sex the way I really wanted to have sex. So I wanted to penetrate, right? Like that's mm-hmm. how I've always wanted to have sex. So we explored, I, I would also say that this, uh, this girlfriend had a very traumatic sexual history mm. that also affected our sex life and how we had sex as well. Sure. And so we were navigating her history and my complete inexperience and having no idea what even options are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was definitely a little bit confusing at first and tricky. And we tried playing with, um, some dildos. We never played with strap-ons mm-hmm. and we tried, a, we tried, um, where she would penetrate me and I did not like it. Mm -hmm. It was like, I didn't feel anything. It's not even like I felt my body just completely didn't feel anything at all.
0: Wow. So it's like your body, your brain shut off access to that feeling sensation. Yeah. Yeah. And what if she stimulated you externally?
1: It would feel good, Mm -hmm. but I could only come to an orgasm by me stimulating myself. I want to
0: invite you to imagine for a moment what your ideal sex life looks like and feels like. Who are you with? What type of sex do you have together? How do you feel while touching them? And how does your body feel when they touch you? Or maybe you'd like to be having less sex than you're currently having. If you don't know, or if that vision of your ideal doesn't look at all like what's currently going on in your bedroom, I can help. With personalized sex and intimacy coaching, we'll explore where you are, how you got here, where you want to be, and the steps to help you get there. There are no right or wrong answers, just the answers that work for you. I understand that exploring your sexuality and all that goes with it, your body image, your belief in your lovability, and more can be terrifying. Believe me, I sat in the middle of that fire for decades. I know how painful it is. But I also stepped out the other side, stronger, more confident, and more certain of my lovability and desirability, and I want the same for you. I work with couples and one-on-one, whether you've never explored your sexual desires before, or you want to explore things you've never done before, like maybe BDSM or non-monogamy, or if you and your partner need some help figuring out how to communicate together so you can have better sex. I'm queer, kinky, and poly-friendly, and I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. Together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit LeahCarry.com forward slash coaching. A new client recently said that before her discovery call, she was extremely nervous, but that I made the experience feel easy and comfortable. So book your free discovery call today at LeahCarry.com. Forward slash coaching. How long did this relationship go on?
1: We were dating for about two years.
0: Oh, that's a long time.
1: Yeah. So it was a, I would say, a long term relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. And um did she ever at any point have any knowledge of your fantasy life?
1: No. Mm-hmm. So I never disclosed that. I also never disclosed any thoughts. That I might even be having about gender. Like that, that wasn't even really like in my own consciousness. Sure. It just was something that was just there, but not ever acknowledged.
0: Yeah. So um, at this point, had you taken on the sort of self identification of lesbian?
1: Yes, very much. Mm-hmm. So this also for me was in this stage, once I identified as a lesbian, I would call myself a butch dyke. Like I went into. To that realm because that gave me access to presenting more masculine.
0: Oh, sure. In a
1: safer environment where, in that label of lesbian, you can be femme, you can be butch. Like there was more gender play. And I very much went into that, you know, to Mm -hmm. the point where, like, I, when I went to a store, if somebody from behind me called me, sir, I was like super happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this reminds me of I mean, this was a long time ago, probably back in the 90s. Reading a book that I think was called Stone Butch, something like that. Um, and it was a, a Butch Dyke who, uh, and I think I, I think it was a novel. I don't think that it was a memoir. Um, but in the in the story. This person never wanted to have her genitals interacted with at all. She only wanted to give pleasure to her partner. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, is that what, like, lesbians are like, because at this point I had, I knew I was interested in women, but I hadn't had any specific experience myself. And so, I thought, oh, well, maybe this is what lesbians do. Like one of them gives and one of them receives and okay. um, And it's only now that I'm beginning to realize, oh, she maybe was a transgender person who didn't have access to that language or that lifestyle or you know, any, any of it, because at that point, it wasn't available.
1: Wow, that is just so my story yeah. as well.
0: After we finished this conversation, I looked up the book I mentioned. It's been many years since I read it, so I had some of the details wrong. The novel is titled Stone Butch Blues, and the author is Leslie Feinberg. While it does explore the, quote, stone butch lesbian identity, it also explores themes and actions that we would today associate with transgender identity and transitioning. I remember it being a difficult book to read, but it has also stuck with me for over 20 years, so I'm inclined to go back and read it again at some point soon. Leslie Feinberg passed away in 2014, but before her death, she made a free PDF download of the book available at lesliefeinberg.net. I'll put that link in the show notes. And now let's get back to the interview.
1: Well, after that first girlfriend, my second girlfriend, which was very soon after that first one, she did not identify as a lesbian before we got together. Mm. And so, it became acceptable that she didn't touch me sexually at all. Hmm. So, like, she never touched my genitals. It was always me giving to her. And I was completely fine with that. Because at the time, I guess I did not want – I didn't want that. I didn't want people touching my genitals.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, we've talked a lot about your genitals. What about your breasts?
1: Those weren't even – <laughs> I, <had, laughs> I had absolutely no – I I had no thoughts. Well, actually, I had no positive thoughts about my breast. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I had very large breasts. I had double D's, which probably would was more like triple triple D's or Fs. Um, mm-hmm. so they were large, but they were I they,
0: they got in the way a lot. <laughs> they,
1: they got in the way a lot. I used to think when I didn't understand what trans was that. I had the thought that if I only could have a breast reduction, I would be okay. Like that, again, I kept always looking for these things that would be acceptable. Yeah. Like normal for a girl to do, a woman to do, that would still be, you know, society would still accept that, but that would get me closer, I think, to where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So I always had this thought in my mind of when I got a little bit older or I got a little bit more money, then I would have this breast reduction and like that would be okay
0: hmm What do you think about that now?
1: Oh, I if definitely... you had,
0: if you had gotten a breast reduction, how do you think that
1: would have gone over for you? So this is what's interesting. This is actually the thing that pushed me over the edge, is that there was a time where I lost a lot of weight. And so I've always been overweight. And so I lost a lot of weight and my breast size did reduce. Mm-hmm. And I was still unhappy with them. Huh. And it was that that was the point that pushed me to to, to realize this is more than just oh I'm unhappy about my body like I'm un, I'm unhappy about my breast or I'm un, you know like this that was the thing that made it push it into this is literally about my gender.
0: Mm-hmm. How old were you when that happened?
1: So that was when I was twenty eight.
0: Had you at that point been exposed to the idea of transgender,
1: or did you have to go out and look for it? So I had been exposed to it and. I had rejected it. Yeah. Mm. I it was one of those things where you it was too real for me at that point. Like it was too I just couldn't I just didn't ever think I could do it.
0: When you heard there's a possibility of becoming a man living as a man presenting as a man. What did you think that was going to entail and is it what you have actually experienced or was there a lot of mythology in there?
1: Well, I think the first time that I was exposed to it was right after college. So I had uh, so I had just come out even as a lesbian at that point at 21 mm. and then I graduated and I was living in this uh, Burlington, Vermont, which is more progressive. I don't know if you know that area, a very mm-hmm. progressive liberal area. Area. And I was at this gay bar um, with some really good friends. And her friend or person that she knew came up looking right in that middle between masculine and feminine. And they were really happy talking about some sort of drug they had just started. And I wasn't really sure what they were Mm -hmm. talking about. And I very particularly remember them saying, like, look, I'm starting to get chin hair. Uh huh. And like really pointing out their chin hair. And when they left, my friend was like, "Oh yeah, he's really happy. He just started transition." And I was like, "What? What? <laughs> like, that's not even a thing. Like that—that's mm-hmm. not even possible." And I just remember it freaking me out so much because they didn't look masculine enough to me.
0: Oh, because they had just started to transition. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Wow. And yeah. so
0: that was sort of your marker of, well, this is what a trans person looks like. Yes. Interesting. Yep. Yeah.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. and I also started getting exposed to, um, from going to gay clubs, drag queens. And that was the other thought in my mind of what trans meant Mm -hmm. at that point. Again, trans wasn't even, that wasn't even the vocabulary used. It like, totally (laughs) that wasn't even the vocabulary available at that point. But looking at somebody who moved genders or played with gender norms, was all I saw were those extremes. So mm-hmm. drag queens, especially, and then being exposed to some a person who was very early transition. Mm-hmm. And so both of those options weren't viable for me at, at the time.
0: So now you're in your late 20s. You've lived for seven, eight, nine years as a lesbian. And you come to the moment where you're like, oh, this is a gender thing, not a sexuality thing what happens in your brain around that like was that really scary or did it feel like a relief
1: i think the realization was a relief hmm. having to tell people in my life and actually acknowledge it to other people is what was really scary yeah yeah that was definitely the i think this happens with a lot of trans people and and people that are coming out as gay or lesbian as well but for me, especially before I came out to my parents, I had come out to friends. I had actually already started transitioning before I told my parents. Mm. And when I told them, the reason I told them is because I had made peace with the fact that I might never speak to them again. Mm. Like the the I had to come to terms with the fact that I would probably lose my entire family. Wow.
0: And how did they respond?
1: My So I chose my parents were still together. They, uh, my dad has passed, but they were together that whole time. But my dad and I never had a good relationship. So I chose to tell my sister and my mom. Mm -hmm. And I had called them and said, I need to tell you something. I don't want dad to be there. So he, we need, he needs to like leave the house. Oh, wow. (laughs) So clearly, It was like a big thing. Like like they knew something was coming. Yeah. So I go over there and my mom was there, but my sister wasn't there yet. She was on her way. And so my mom knows something is coming. So she starts guessing. (laughs) And so she's guessing. So I was with a girlfriend at the time. Uh, I was in a serious relationship. We were living together. So her guesses started being, are you getting married? Are you pregnant? Is she pregnant? You know, have you decided to have a baby and then she paused, and she looked at me, and she said, "Do you think that you're a boy?" <sighs> like she just knew. Like the signs. If you really look at my history, the signs are there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just. And so I didn't even have a chance to. Le- I had. I had written. I had written this letter, right? To so like, I'm going to read them this thing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even get a chance to do that because she had just guessed it, mm-hmm. and so she immediately just started crying. She was really, mm. really upset. And she asked me to leave, mm. which was really difficult. Yeah. Because my mom, you know, when I came out as as a lesbian to my mom, she cried a little bit, but she just was like, oh, I, I knew I'm just worried about you. Mm-hmm. This was definitely a much stronger reaction. And she asked me to leave.
0: How did it feel to have, not the part about leaving, because that would be devastating, but how did it feel to just have that honesty with her finally?
1: It was the scariest thing I've ever done.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that needed to be done, but I did not, at the time, I was I did not feel good about it. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I felt like I pulled the wool, you know, out from under them or the rug out from under them.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about your sister? How did she respond?
1: At that moment when my mom was just crying and asked me to leave and she left, my sister was just in shock. Mm-hmm. and didn't have any response at that point.
0: So at that point makes it sound like there were further developments.
1: My mom called me the next day and said, I'm sorry I had that reaction. It mm-hmm. just really took me by surprise and I love you and I support you no matter what. Oh. So yeah, it was very much, she just needed I think she was just, and so we've talked about this uh, later, but she needs, she, she's mourning the loss of the daughter. Sure. Yeah.
0: Which I have to say as profoundly difficult as that would be in your position also makes sense to me. Like we experience people in a certain way. We have. As much as we want to pretend that we live without expectations, that's crap, none of us do, and so we do have to sort of go through that process of readjusting our expectations and re-understanding things and that's hard, and we don't always handle it well
1: yeah, and that's and that's the thing i I so realize, especially for her is you have to have that sort of mourning period. Like that is okay to have that. That's okay to feel grief about feeling this loss. But it also is so, this is the thing about gender is we so put these expectations on gender. Yes. (laughs) And so I feel like a lot of the grief is wrapped up in those expectations of, of what having a daughter means. Yeah. Because I haven't changed. I mean- Yes, I've changed, but the core of me hasn't changed. Mm
0: -hmm. I assume your father found out at some point.
1: He did. So my mom told him that night because she had to, because Mm -hmm. she, my mom is not a crier like that. Ah. She's a very positive, optimistic person. She hardly gets flustered or in a state like that. So when he came home and she was devastated, she had to tell him why. She couldn't Mm -hmm. just... Be like, oh, n- it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my father and I have never. He passed away f- five or six years ago. We never had a discussion about me being trans. I, oh, I actually wow. never said to him that I was trans.
0: Hmm. Even as you started to present mm-hmm. in a masculine way.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's a lot. So let's talk about the actual transition itself. What what was the first thing that you did? Um, like what does transition actually look like for you?
1: Yeah. So transition usually is that you start therapy first. So And by when, that
0: you mean like talk therapy, not yes, drug therapy.
1: Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm, okay. Back then the you had to be in therapy for a certain amount of time before you could start any physical or medication transition. Mm -hmm. So that's where I started is finding a therapist and talking to them.
0: Mm -hmm. And was that a positive experience for you?
1: I would say it was positive, but it felt like at that point I had already made up my mind. Like I had already knew this is what I wanted. So it felt (sighs) I hate to say this, but at the time, it felt like a gatekeeper. It Mm. felt like I had to jump through all of these hoops to prove to somebody that I was who I was. Yeah. And so I felt a little bit like I had to be really careful about what I said because they were dangling this note that I needed to get for me to actually start medically transitioning. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So, when you started medically transitioning, was that the hormones were first?
1: Yes. So that's the first thing that I started was testosterone.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was that like for you?
1: It was amazing! <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Yay! <laughs> it was. It's. It's actually the. I have. I always joke that I have two birthdays. So I have my my birthday that I was born, and then I have my birthday when I started testosterone. Yeah, because that really felt like. This is my second birth.
0: Nice.
1: And how so. Qu- oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say it. So like, that's the, when you start, there's things that happen quicker than others. And each of those milestone is like, Yee, something has happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what were some of those milestones and how long did they take?
1: So one of the first things, well, that happened for me is it stops your period. Mm. So, it stops your menstruation. So, testosterone will override your estrogen, which was amazing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Amazing. uh, And this is something we hadn't talked about. How was getting your period for you? Because that's such a visible, tangible uh, reminder of your, quote unquote, femaleness. How was that for you?
1: Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Terrible, terrible. Terrible. I mean, I would also get. I, I, I used to get some pretty intense cramps, but it also was just like,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs>
1: in a way that was just. It felt like this was not my body.
0: Mm. Yeah. All right. So it stops your periods. Woo-hoo-hoo! I know that.
1: <laughs> that was one very amazing time.
0: <laughs> nice. And what happened
1: next? Then you start getting a little bit of... uh For me, I started getting a little bit of hair growth. So mm-hmm. I started to get a little bit of sideburns. These are some first ones that came in. Then your voice starts to drop. And so you start to have... People think you have a cold because your voice gets a little bit deeper. Huh. And I had started... I started testosterone before I told my parents and before my family knew. And I had gone home. So you also... I also started binding. Uh-huh. So wearing... Um, They actually had binders, but wearing, you know, a binder around my chest so that it would flatten my breast Mm
0: -hmm. so that I
1: have a more kind of flat profile. And I went home to a family party and I wore the binder Mm -hmm. and my voice started to drop. And everyone, I just remember at that party, everybody kept asking me if I had a cold. (laughs) And I kept having to say, yes, I'm getting over a cold. (laughs) Wow. Yeah.
0: Um, it, were you working during this time?
1: I was. So, and did they know I, that you were transitioning? Yes, I actually was a massage therapist at the time. And I had I had just started working at, at, at a new place. And so I had to go to my boss and tell her that I'm transitioning, that we also need to tell clients. Mm. that I am transitioning and she was amazing about it like probably the best boss I could have had for that process wow.
0: that's wonderful
1: yeah she was like let's let's put together a letter but I want to have um my friend who works at Glad look at it to make sure like wording is really good that were oh wow yeah it was it was really amazing
0: Awesome. I'm really glad that you had that support. That's incredible.
1: That felt very, yeah. I mean, supportive, helpful. I mean, it just was really nice.
0: Yeah. So, um, going back to the guy who you had met in the bar 10 years earlier, who had his couple little chin whiskers that were coming in, um, how long did it take for you to get sort of the facial hair that you felt like really marked you as masculine or male?
1: Well, full facial hair takes takes a long time. Mm-hmm. So your listeners can't see me, but I do have a beard. I have a full mm-hmm. beard and mustache. Um, that takes a, a while to sort of really grow in. But you start to get – it's really – basically, you're going through puberty. So think of just <laughs> – a teenage boy going through puberty, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Patchy mustache, pa- patchy sideburns, oh, patchy yeah. chin hair. Like that all happens. And you get the acne because you're going through puberty again. So all of that oh, happens. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your oh. sex drive gets increased.
0: That's what I was going to ask. So you, it, I think you said that when you started transitioning, you were in a relationship. How supportive was your partner of you transitioning?
1: Shh. she was really supportive of me but she really identified as a lesbian Ah. and so she really struggled with what that would mean with me transitioning and us being out in public and what that would look like Mm. so she would no longer look like a lesbian Mm -hmm. and we did not have the communication skills to navigate that. And I, it was really, so she would say things to me like, okay, you're transitioning. Great. I'm so happy for you, but I don't want you to have facial hair. Huh? And I'm like, but that's what I really want. Right. (laughs) Like I really want facial hair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how long did that relationship
1: last? After I, once I started transition, only about maybe nine or 10 months Uh after I started transition. So
0: during those nine or 10 months when you were still together and you were transitioning, did it affect your sex life? Did it affect how you experienced your body and interacted with your body?
1: Yes and no. So... Yes, in the sense that, so it increased my sex drive. So testosterone really can increase your sex drive. For me, it, for me, it did. Mm-hmm. But I also had the dysphoria of I still don't have the parts that I want to have to have sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we would explore with, we explored once with um, me wearing a blindfold and her touching my body and um, giving me, um, stimulating my, my clit, I actually call it my dick. I'm, I'm unsure of what to call it for t- not to confuse people, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I want to know what you call it. Like, I uh, okay. think that's important. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I I, I call it my dick. Mm-hmm. And to have her stimulate that and to give me essentially a blowjob, And I, I could let go a little bit. So it was sort of the best that I could let go, but it still wasn't ideal. Mm-hmm. And before I got my breast removed, so top surgery, I would never take my shirt off ah. to have sex because uh-huh. it was just like, that was just never something that I was interested in doing.
0: So it, my understanding is that when you, when you start taking testosterone, the clit the dick however it is that you refer to it does become enlarged is
1: that correct it does yes mm-hmm. so basically that can grow and again depending on the person as to how much that can grow so that was helpful to get some of that but it's still you know it's not it's not the average dick size i
0: understand that there is bottom surgery for trans men available, but I also understand or my understanding is that um, that it like you said not going to give you a quote unquote average size penis. Um, have you had bottom surgery? Do you want to have bottom surgery? Where what's your thinking there?
1: So bottom surgery for trans men, there are two options. For me, neither of them are, are ideal, mm-hmm. so I have not had bottom surgery. I have recently started thinking about do I want it, um, and so the so one of the surgeries is they go in so the clitoris where how it sort of sits up into the hood is there's a ligament there, so they go in and they cut that so that it drops your existing Hmm. genitalia out more. So that's how you get it to be a little bit longer. And they can also reroute your urethra so that it goes through that. And so you can pee standing up.
0: When they cut those things, does that um, compromise the sensation that you have?
1: With this one, that surgery, no, it, and okay. so that's why a lot of trans men will do that. However, you also, I, I'm, I'm talking, we're talking. Some some people can maybe get three inches, but that's mm-hmm. very, that's like large. We're talking mm-hmm. like one to two inches that you can get. Which that is that the if you want to penetrate somebody, that's not that's very difficult to penetrate with. Uh huh. So it's still not ideal.
0: Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex. I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex-positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you. Whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener, I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. You were about to start talking about the second kind of surgery. Yes.
1: Yeah, so the second type of surgery is they actually make your the shaft of your penis from other skin. Hmm. So they either take it from your forearm or the inside of your thigh or the side of your rib cage, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they take that skin off. So they literally first, first they put expanders underneath, essentially, to make your skin grow a little bit more. Right. Yeah. And then they cut, they cut that part out and then they. Make a tube out of it, so they're making a penis, and that is large because they're usually that can be as large. I mean I've seen some guys get like six oh not six um seven or eight inch wow, long mm-hmm. And so then they take that and they attach it, and they usually, for most guys, they want you embed the clitoris inside that, huh? So they kind of put it kind of right on top of it. However, it's not erectile tissue, mm-hmm. right? So it can't get hard. You can't actually penetrate with it without having more surgeries, where they implant a device. Basically, you pump because mm-hmm. so you also get you you fashion balls. So the outside of your your vagina, the um, labia lips, they make those essentially into balls. Hmm. Wow. And then the implant, they kind of put a pump inside one of your balls. So you like pump it up. This actually, this, <laughs> wow. this implant, which is really funny, is actually not made for trans men. It's actually made for, for cis men that are impotent.
0: Okay, so many questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I th- I'm just going to concentrate on one of them, which is you said that they fashion the labia into balls. So does that mean that you no longer have a vaginal opening?
1: So that is also an option. So it depends on the trans man if they want to do that or not. Mm -hmm. So the reason why you, if you're going to have, it's called a a vaginoplasty. If you're going to have that, you need to have all of your reproductive organs taken out. So you need to have a full hysterectomy Mm -hmm. because once they close that opening, there's no way for them to internally check the health of those organs.
0: Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you have to have all of that removed.
0: Mm-hmm. So have you had a hysterectomy or do you still have all of your internal parts?
1: I still have all of them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it is something that I am right now considering that I really want to have that surgery.
0: Um, for gender reasons or for other health reasons? No,
1: for um, I'm having cramping. I've 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 had I've still had what I would consider period cramping sporadically, but there now it's happening a little bit more. Hmm. And so I also have to, just for kind of health reasons, I also have a pap smear every two years Mm -hmm. because I still have those those parts, those bits.
0: (laughs) And is that the only type of penetration that you have? Yes. And is that really difficult? I mean, it's not pleasant for any of us, so I <laughs> but I imagine that there might be an extra level of unpleasantness for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, the first couple of times I had it, I didn't you just, I just sort of grinned and bared it. but it mm-hmm. was it, yeah, it was physically it hurt, but also mentally, it was just I, that was really mentally exhausting to have to mm. sit down like that and spread your legs and those stirrups. Mm -hmm. Felt very uncomfortable and very traumatizing.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: The last time I had it done, I actually told – I ended up having a different doctor. And I told her that I don't have penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. It's – the last times I've had it done, it actually – it was very uncomfortable because, you know, I just think the – Something was the speculum might've been too large. I'm not really sure. And so I, I said to her very explicitly, like it it hurts. I don't have penetration. Is there a way to be more gentle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was, there yes. was. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what she did different, but it actually was fine.
0: Okay. So let me tell you my quick story, Yeah, which is that, uh, Pap smears were such a heinous experience, so horrible. I would often end up crying, um, in the, in the office, um, until I went to a new doctor. And this was, this was a while. It was probably 15 years ago, but I went to a new doctor and, she was like, Are you nervous? I was like, Uh huh. Cause she could see me white knuckling it. I said, like, Yeah, this is, this is awful. This is so awful for me. And she's like, Do you want me to use the baby speculum? And I was like, The what? <laughs> I'm sorry. The what? Apparently, there is like a much, much smaller speculum. And I don't know if they call it the baby one because it just looks so much smaller or if they actually use it on babies. I don't know what the terms are there. But why the fuck are they not giving us all baby speculums? Because that shit fucking hurts. (laughs) And it is so much better. And now, whenever I go to a new OBGYN, I'm like, give me the fucking baby speculum.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like, I part of me was just like, I can't tell if I'm just so reactive to it because Mm -hmm. it is really traumatizing for me and so when i said that to her and she was like oh yeah let's try something else i was like same with you i was like oh there's something else to try <laughs> right. like i just thought she was going to be like you just have to lay back and just shut up but right. yeah, she was really great about it
0: <laughs> fucking
1: speculum <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's just not that shit was created by a cisgender man <laughs> yeah right
1: Ex- yeah exactly exactly
0: Oh, God. Okay, moving on. Um. So, what does your sex life look like today in terms of mechanics, not in terms of like, what's your relationship? We'll get to that. Yeah. But when you have sex today, what does sex like look like for you?
1: So, I will say that I I had a period when my I broke up with my girlfriend that I was with when I transitioned. That I was celibate for eight, almost nine years. Mm. Because I think because I've resorted, I've reverted to that thought that nobody would want to have sex with me. Mm -hmm. I was trans. I was overweight. Like I just felt very unattractive. Mm -hmm. And when, so that girlfriend, when I transitioned, we did try playing with a strap-on. So that Mm -hmm. sort of came into my life where she was much more knowledgeable about sex toys. And she was like, let's try you using a strap-on, right? Because that sort of simulates having a penis. Mm -hmm. And I put it on and I used it and it used to make me really angry. Hmm. Instead of feeling happy, I actually felt angry.
0: Mm -hmm. Because you didn't have the real thing.
1: Yeah, because I couldn't Uh feel. Mm -hmm. Because I couldn't feel what I wanted to feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so fast forward, being celebrate for eight or nine years, I started a relationship with a woman. And us, she had never been with a trans person A trans man or a trans person, and in either regard, but and so having to navigate figuring that stuff out again made me really nervous because of Mm -hmm. my reaction to the last time I'd sort of tried (laughs) these things. Yeah. Yeah. But what I found is this time was really different. The sex this time was really much more affirming. I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed my body. And she was so patient with me about, okay, if you don't, like, she just was so patient about uh, if you're not ready for me to touch you, that's great. Well, you can do all this other stuff. Like, it doesn't have to involve me touching you or, like, you know, me, her stimulating me in any way. Like, she. Mm was so patient with us figuring that out that I just had never encountered that before with any of my other partners who were willing to just be that patient about it.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like it was primarily you touching her?
1: Yes. Like genital contact. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning. Yes, for sure.
0: You've had top surgery. Mm-hmm. So your breasts have been removed. Do you enjoy having people touch your chest now?
1: I enjoy them touching my, ch- my chest a lot. But the one of the problems, I don't want to say problem. One of the complications with having top surgery is that you lose sensation. So I have lost mm. sensation of where the scars are because they run. It's basically like it's vasectomy scars because they take mm-hmm. all of that tissue off. So I've lost sensation of that, and you, I don't have any nipple sensation. So I like having my chest touched very much, but I don't get any sexual sensation from it uh-huh. because I can't feel it.
0: Mm-hmm. So what you you say that you enjoy having it touched very much? What is that enjoyment? Is it like? Does it?
1: Yeah. So I think, so the, so the line for me is like, she would lick my nipple and I, unless I'm actually looking at it, I have no idea because I can't mm-hmm. feel that, but like putting pressure and. um, So not, not like light touch, but like putting pressure, stroking acro- like across the whole chest. I love that because that uh-huh. is so masculine to have a flat chest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> gotcha.
1: <laughs> like yeah. I, I would want her to just like, rub my chest a lot because that to me was having that flat option was just amazing. Mm-hmm. But unless I was actually looking at what she was doing, especially with nipple stuff, I I, I can't feel that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So you enjoy being touched waist up. Uh sounds like you're still not super into experiencing genital touch. Is that correct?
1: Well, so that with this partner, we that's what we really explored. So that's what mm-hmm. I really explored with her is getting comfortable with that. And she was very willing to explore that with me and go at the pace that I felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. And if I, at any point, we were doing something, she would stop doing that. Like it wasn't a big deal. Like she'd just mm-hmm. be like, okay, let's do something else. Like let's move on. It wasn't like, Oh, that's it. We're done the sexual encounter because I was done with her touching me. You know, it just wasn't ever like that.
0: We should all have partners like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Communication is really the key. And you know, even if you don't know what you want, but if you can just articulate, you know what? I'm not sure what I want right now. Let's Mm -hmm. try, can we try this thing? And if I'm not into it or if it's not comfortable, let's can we try something else like Mm -hmm. that is key to like, keep communicating with that.
0: So you've been talking about her in the past tense, are are the two of you not still together?
1: Correct. Yes, we are not together. Mm -hmm. And are you dating? What's your current status? Well, we stopped we, our relationship just ended as the pandemic started. So
0: Oh, okay. So it's pretty recent.
1: Yeah. So there's no, I'm not dating. I'm also completely fucking devastated by this breakup. So I'm, I'm not even emotionally ready to be
0: dating anybody. Mm, yeah. I'm sorry. Thank you. What are your hopes for the future at such time as you are ready to do something else? What are your <laughs> hopes for the future?
1: I'm assuming, are you talking about in regards to relationships and regards to sex? Relationships,
0: sex, all of it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, I really want a partner that is patient with my body needs and where, what I need to do to feel comfortable with my body. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to find a person to, spend my life with Mm -hmm. a lot of other areas of my life is is going really well. So I really like (laughs) where I'm at right now, but I would really like to be sharing my life with somebody. Mm -hmm.
0: Listeners can't see you, um, but I am looking at you so I can tell them that you present like a completely masculine a uh, cisgender man, how do you move in the world? Do people tend to know that you're trans or is that something that you sort of keep close to the chest?
1: Well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very welcome. <laughs> I would say that I pass 100%. So, unless you actually knew my history, you wouldn't know that I was trans. So, for me, it's still an interesting balancing act when I meet somebody new where I'm not announcing myself. Like, Mm -hmm. by the way, I'm Lachlan and I'm trans. Like, that's just not anything you would say, right? (laughs) But I have to really navigate when we start talking about past history, when I start to talk about my past, who I'm with, will dictate what I say. Mm -hmm. So a very clear example of this is when people start talking about, oh, I played a certain sport in high school. Well, I played softball in high school and I love softball, right? Uh But softball is not not a masculine sport. That's only a feminine sport. Mm -hmm. So if I say to somebody, oh, I played softball, that is a very clear indication that something is a little bit off. Hmm. So depending on the person that I'm with, I change that and I say, "Oh, I played baseball."
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Which is then like once I once I have to start doing that stuff that make me, that makes me also feel like I'm not being authentic again. Like mm-hmm. I've I've had to hide myself for a large portion of my life because I didn't want people to know that I'm trans. And now that I've transitioned, I still am careful about what I say, because I still don't want some people to know that I'm trans, just out of pure safety reasons.
0: Mm -hmm. And what does that do to your dating life? Mm. Obviously, you've said that you're not actively looking right now. But at such time as you are, do you go on the apps? And if you do, do you say right up front i'm trans do you wait until you're a few dates in how do you navigate that for safety as much as anything else yeah
1: it's difficult i i have made the choice for myself and other trans people do not make this choice they make different choices mm-hmm. but i explicitly say that i'm trans
0: mm-hmm.
1: for two reasons one because i pass 100% i am worried about someone's reaction once I tell them that I'm trans if we've already had some conversations and they don't know. Mm -hmm. This happened to me several years ago when I was in my sort of celibate period and I started, oh, I'm going to do some online dating. And I put a profile up and I did not say that I was trans. And this woman and I were conversing and it was going really well. We were just conversing online. And then she sent me an email that said, Hey, I went and looked on your Facebook page and I noticed that you have said some things about trans issues and being in that, you know, having that stuff on your page. And, you know, I just want you to know that I'm really supportive of trans people, but that is just not going to work for me because I need the, I I need an actual penis for sex, Hmm. like to have sex with because- a strap-on just doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) That really took me aback. I mean, thank you. I was glad that she at least was honest with me, but it was such a weird, it was a weird thing that it only comes down to genitals. Mm -hmm. You know?
0: Yeah. There is so much goddamn hoopla about trans people in bathrooms. And most, if not all of that conversation is focused on trans women going into female bathrooms. What is it for like for you as a trans man going into male bathrooms? Do you, are you nervous? Does it create any drama for you?
1: Yes, it makes me nervous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even passing 100%, even... I've literally never had an in, an instance of somebody outing me that didn't know who I was, but I still very much have a fear of using public public restrooms. is definitely my biggest fear,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it, it 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 changes your behavior. I mean, I'm really cautious about if I'm going to go out and do some errands that I. Have to limit my water intake because I don't want mm. to really use public restrooms, especially if I'm going somewhere where I know the restroom is probably going to be terrible.
0: Mm.
1: That I really sort of monitor those situations. Or if I'm out, I literally have been in a store and thought I have to use the restroom. I don't, I really don't feel safe that I've literally just put my stuff down and left so that I could make it to my house.
0: Oh, wow.
1: It's been, but I have to say, I've, I I absolutely recognize my privilege in the fact that I pass 100%. Mm-hmm. That nobody would, the only way you would know in a restroom is if you were literally coming in the stall with me. But I also have that fear that, you know, I have to sit down to pee, right? I don't have a penis. I can't use the urinal. I have mm-hmm. to sit down. And that to me is such a red flag. Because I didn't have not, I didn't grow up using men's restrooms. I don't know what is normal or common. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the US, the restroom, the gaps in those restroom stalls <laughs> are the most ridiculous thing. What, why? I don't even understand. <laughs> yeah. It's like, for Christ's sake. And I recognize my privilege that the, these, all of these bills are mostly aimed at trans, trans women. Mm-hmm. trans men are completely invisible to these lawmakers we don't even exist because for the most part once you start testosterone if you want to you can pass very well mm-hmm. without without having any other surgeries
0: so uh, something that i've heard is that um there's sort of a uh, pros and cons thing f- between trans men and trans women that for trans women s- Surgery can be extremely effective, but hormones are less effective um, because they still have to deal with all the hair that came in during puberty, and uh, the you can't lower. uh, No, rather, you can't make the voice go higher simply by removing testosterone. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, for trans men, the hormones are extremely effective, but the surgery is. Less effective. Does that ring
1: true to you? Yeah, very much. Uh, so my roommate is a trans woman, so we ta- we we talk about this a lot. <laughs> where uh-huh. <laughs> for for trans men, testosterone is really powerful. So once you start that, your hair grows, your voice drops, you stop your period. Like there are some, and your um your your jaw structure will widen. So you you grow more mm-hmm. bone, like in your jaw and in your cheek So your facial structure wow. gets wider. Huh. It becomes very masculine those you can't undo. So for trans women going through puberty and going through that testosterone phase, you can't come back from that. Mm-hmm. So like you said, taking estrogen and progesterone, like your, your voice can't go higher. Once it drops, it has dropped. Mm-hmm. Once you grow facial hair, you can't un- you can't stop that without having other procedures done. Mm-hmm. Once your face widens, once you your bone grows wide, you can't unloot you, like you can't lose that growth. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. However, for trans women, the their bottom surgery is can be very affirming because it you can actually make a vaginal canal. Mm-hmm. like it can feel very realistic. Um, but for trans men, we can have all of this other stuff that goes really well and we can pass a hundred percent, but the bottom surgery to actually have a working functioning penis is not great.
0: Yeah. I think for a long time, I've heard people say, well, I've never met a trans person and someone else will be, will say that, you know, of, and for a long time, because I had no experience, no knowing experience of trans people, I was like, yeah, I think I would know. And now that I have trans people in my world and in my life, I actually know that that's true, that there are a lot of trans people who pass 100%. And that if they don't pull their pants down in front of you, you wouldn't actually know.
1: Right, exactly. Exactly.
0: And that is true for both trans men and trans women, I you know we're talking now about how effective testosterone is for trans men, but I've met trans women who, when I met them, I had absolutely no idea until they outed themselves to me, yeah, when you hear about little kids who have identified themselves as transgender at very young ages, three, four, five, six mm-hmm. um and please, God, may they have affirming parents. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on allowing kids to have hormone blockers as they reach the age of um, puberty?
1: Yeah. The other question that gets implied with that, that I hear a lot, is how can you trust that they know who they are like Mm -hmm. how how can how can kids know one answer i usually say to that is how did you know Mm -hmm. like how did you know that you were the gender that you were or how did you know this comes up a lot with um if you're gay or lesbian like you know (laughs) you can't you can't know that when you're a kid and i turn that around to them and say well how did you know you were straight Mm -hmm. how did you know that you were a woman or that you were a man right Now, for kids that young, my personal belief, again, this is like if their parents are affirming, what blockers are doing is just delaying puberty, Mm -hmm. right? That is reversible. You can stop blockers and go through puberty with whatever way you want. But the trauma of going through a puberty and a gender that you do not think is yours is very high. Like that's very traumatic. Mm -hmm. If I could go back and not go through having my breasts grow. Yeah. And having a period. I would do that. My, Mm -hmm. my childhood would have been a lot happier.
0: Lachlan, we've done it. Thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I'm really Uh, grateful
1: to you for showing up and being willing to be so honest. Thank you very much. And for doing this podcast, I think it's very brave to step out and not only make a podcast, but make a podcast like this that just feels so relevant right now that we need Mm -hmm. to hear more voices like this.
0: I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I've enjoyed sharing it with you. I imagine there are some of you listening who have children who've identified themselves as transgender or non-binary. I hope that it's been helpful to hear from a man who has been through the fire and is still standing. For those of you who are trans or non-binary yourselves, I want you to know that I see you. You matter to me. I may not have gone through the things you've experienced, but if there are ways that I can support you, I'm here for it. And I also want to introduce you to another trans masculine friend of mine, Mason Luke. He runs an online sex toy shop at masonluke.com that specifically highlights toys for the trans and non-binary communities. At my request, he has set up a page for Good Girls Talk About Sex listeners that features his favorite products for trans men. That's at masonluke.com forward slash goodgirls.html. I'll put that link in the show notes. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirls talk about sex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash goodgirls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Osiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcary.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.